It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. So, uh, welcome to the Friday edition of Daily Thunder. Uh, we have some early arrivals for our fatherhood conference uh, this weekend, which is uh, something I'm greatly anticipating. And uh, we have the advanced class in uh, full swing. In the week uh, of advanced training right now, we're going through gospel communications and uh, a significant week as far as development of understanding the gospel, knowing how to communicate uh, with this lost and dying world, which is, not something that you just go to a communication expert and say, could you give me the lowdown of how good communications works? Because there's a natural man version of communications, and there's a tool belt that uh, I could teach you too. I know a lot about uh, natural man communications, and I could teach you to be an excellent communicator and how to win friends and influence people. But uh, when the gospel gets involved, it gets a little sketchy and a little dicey because the message that we are entrusted with is not necessarily something they want to hear. So how do we go about delivering the goods of the gospel, the power of the gospel into salvation to a world that may not want to hear it? That gets a little uh, difficult at times because if you, like many Christians today, choose to change the gospel to make it more appealing, that is one method that works. And you could see many churches have grown rather large by approaching it with that uh, technique. Uh, The other is to just uh, not care uh, about the audience, to say, look, I'm going to do my duty and I'm going to deliver truth. I don't care if you get it or not, but I'm gonna do my job and wash my hands clean of it. And we actually have seen that technique many times as well. And so this, whatever ground I'm going to attempt to introduce you to, which is, we, we seek to be excellent communicators. We just do in everything. If you're writing, I, I would train you to be an excellent writer. However, what I would train you to write, I know and you need to know up front is not necessarily going to be received even though you do it with excellence. And so everything Christ did was with excellence. He lived the perfect life and yet he was rejected. He was despised. And so but what he gave was perfection. It was the perfection of love. It was the perfection of purity. It was the perfection of kindness. Everything that he exemplified was done well, and yet it was rejected. And so in a strange sense, I remember having this discussion uh, with a young man who was very paranoid about being cheesy. His whole concern was being cheesy. I just don't want to be cheesy. And the classic statement about Christian movies is, you know, they have the cheesy gospel scene. And I, I, I totally understand the logic. I, I, get it. I can get inside of a filmmaker's head very quickly and go, yeah, yeah, that, is, that does come across as rather cheesy. But then the point is, what are you doing it for? <laughs> what is the end goal of what you're doing? And if the end goal truly is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter how you do it, it comes across as cheesy. I don't know how to say it, but translating the realities of that realm into this one, they just don't jive. They're they're of a different nature. 
And so when you take that reality and attempt to cram it into something, any communication device down here, the more clear you are in regards to it, as opposed to the more artistic you are, the more clear and concrete you are, the more challenging it becomes. So uh, welcome to my world. Uh, that is actually the world in which I've lived. Uh, I've had to make a lot of decisions in that world. I've written a lot of books and I've taken a lot of flack because of how I've done things. And so it doesn't matter how I do it, there will be criticisms if I do it in the name of Jesus. So I named this uncool. Uh, if you've been around Ellerslie for 10 years, I've brought up the concept of cool and uncool many times, just more of out of the humor uh, element of it, because that it's just more ironic that one of the things we desire to be is cool uh, as humans, and yet the very nature of the word cool runs... Uh, opposite and counter to the very nature of what God has called us to in Christianity. So this is from a series called Gospel Communication Tools, which it may end up just being a two-part series uh, since I missed the Daily Thunder on Wednesday. But uh, hey, we'll make this two-part series shine. Uh, this will be a powerful two-part series. Sorry, I need to turn on my clicker. So classic communication secrets. So if I'm going to just teach you how to be a great communicator, and we're going to leave the gospel out of it for a second because you can be so much more effective. You can be so much more popular. Your books will sell better. Your movies will uh, be watched by more viewership. I mean, there's just, you could do this so much better if you, if you heed what Eric's going to tell you and you, you don't get all Christian-easy uh, on me uh, or on us as a world. So the classic communication secrets, these are musts. Okay, now these are actually really good points. I would encourage you to inculcate them into your communication uh, delivery, but uh, this is just the beginnings of what I'm talking about today. So I initially was thinking of calling this message, Keep It Cool, uh, because that is actually a speaking technique, and some of you have heard me say it maybe when uh, the AC uh, is uh, overworking and it's a little cold in here, and I'm like, perfect. Uh, that's the way we want it. As a speaker, you actually want your audience a little uncomfortable. I know that sounds strange, but if they get too comfortable, they get too comfortable, uh, and they could fall asleep, drift off. So men have a tendency, I don't know what it is about men, I'm looking at some of you out there, uh, to dr drift off a little easier than, than women. I don't know what that is, so for the sake of the men, women, you're going to have to go through a little more cool. So actually, it's part of the strategy is if you are setting a temperature gauge for a room, keep it cooler than warmer. And so that's more of the irony. I'm sticking that in there for the humor value of it too because here I am saying uncool and then I'm like, hey, one of the great speaking techniques, speaking technique, sorry guys, <laughs> the speaking techniques is keep it cool. Second, keep the speaker's face well lit. There's something about a poorly lit stage where the facial features are shadowed that actually hinders the ability to focus. And so even though it sounds rather vain to say, I need my face well lit for you. It's like, well, that, well, Eric, boy, you sure do uh, think a lot about yourself. Actually, I'm thinking about you because if my facial features are dimmed or if I have a light behind me, it's called a backlit uh, room. So say I had uh, a big picture window behind me, it actually blackens me. It's really strange the effect that that has, but it actually puts a shadow over me and you can't really see me well, which causes you to be distracted the whole while I'm speaking. So keep it cool, keep the speaker's face well lit. Keep energy and life in your words. As a speaker, you can't drone or go dull in your communication. A, a, a monotone voice is actually, even though 
In history, we have uh, Jonathan Edwards, who had one of the greatest sermons ever, and it was spoken in a monotone. I don't know that that's a result of his speaking style as much as a result of the Holy Spirit. And so I wouldn't want any of you to just lean naturally on such a notion that a monotone voice is actually going to be effective. There's something that is important to an audience, and that is just like in film, you change the camera angle, even in the same scene, multiple times. Every few seconds, you're changing it, and it helps your audience engage. It's just something, you know, the psychology of humanity. Well, the same is true with energy in life. If you are not passionate about what you're speaking about, well, why should your audience care? And so if you don't care, they won't care. Uh, keep visual movements, not too much, not too little. There's all sorts of different things that you'll notice uh, speakers will do. For instance, I, when I'm on this camera for the stream, it limits me, right? But I would move around, I'd walk back and forth. Sometimes, you know, I'll even go out into the crowd and poke at someone. Uh, and that's not a technique necessarily as much as I know it can help. The reason you'll see me have a keynote is for that exact reason. See, as I click it and I turn, it gives you something to mentally chew on, okay? As opposed to having to stare at this uh, all the time, you know, which isn't that fun, right? No comments. Uh, and so as a result, a keynote in and of itself is movement. There's this one guy, he was a master communicator, probably still is, I haven't uh, talked to him in years, but he would start out with his jacket on, like a blazer and a, and a button-up shirt. And as he's talking, you know, about 10 minutes in, he'd be walking around and he'd gently pace, not too much movement, you know, but, but light move. If, you, if I was up on stage doing this, <laughs> it would drive you crazy. You're like, I thought you said you're supposed to have movement. Yes, you are, but too much movement actually is just as much of a distraction. If I was clicking, 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 and you're like, I, I can't even take it in, that would be too much movement. But he would, after about 10 minute point, he would remove his jacket, just sort of slowly, and as he's pondering, because he's showing that he's comfortable. Right? <laughs> I can call it brilliant, but I mean, he's doing it purposely. I'm watching it going, hmm. Yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm picking up on all this. So he, he takes off his jacket, folds it over his arm for a little bit. You know, maybe for a minute it's there. And then he comes up to a chair and sets it over the back of the chair. He's comfortable. And then, oh, about another five to ten minutes in, he unbuttons his right sleeve and begins to fold it back. I mean, this is, I mean, he's doing this as he's talking, right? And then after another five minutes, he unbuttons his left sleeve and he is becoming comfortable. And it's interesting, but it does help the audience become comfortable. Now, these are human techniques, okay? And they, for whatever reason, work. So that's keeping visual movement, but keeping content rolling, I, I would say texture, texture, texture. When you are writing a book, when you are giving a speech of any kind, when you're making a movie, texture is of great importance. Like in the novel world, you don't want just conversation, conversation, conversation. You want to create scene. You want to create smell. You want to create atmosphere. So you want them eating and you want to actually have your audience taste food and not just hear conversation, but to actually be involved with their other senses. It's similar in communication. In other words, a story as opposed to just some facts where you're just sort of telling truths, you give an illustration or you give a metaphor. And that's, that's actually just the way we are built as humans to engage is on that front. You look at the Bible and the Bible is a whole bunch of the same thing, if you want to say it that way. It's all about Jesus. In various forms though, the texture is amazing. 
And so if you were to look at the landscape of Scripture, its, it's, uh, it's topography is all different types of landscape. I mean, you have everything from Arctic to uh, tropical. You have, you know, uh, water to uh, desert. You have everything in there as far as the styles of writing, as far as the visual scapes that you're being brought into. Everything from the Garden of Eden to Revelation is quite uh, exquisite in its change of topography and description. And so even God in his revelation is going to have texture, various literary styles, different authors, different voices. I mean, it's just a fascinating thought. Now, most of you were thinking, uh, you know, God could work on keeping the content rolling a little better because many of us have tried to read through the Bible. Uh, and we get to Leviticus, and we're like, whew, God, you could take a, little few, a few lessons from Eric Ludi on texture, texture, texture. Uh, Leviticus slows down just a little too much. And let's keep the, the movement going. Uh, not, see, it's like not too much, but not too little. This is a little too little in uh, Leviticus. Okay, so that's all natural man stuff. You can take it or leave it. Uh, my life will not <coughs> be greatly impacted if you leave it. I cannot, oh, there we go. So classic communication secrets. I'm going to say the other ones were the musts. These are the must-nots. So if I was going to, from a natural man vantage point, teach you what you shouldn't do, what you shouldn't add in, and just do the good things, right? Add that texture, add that visual movement, do those things, take off your blazer, fold it, set it over the, the chair. But if I was going to give you a quick list of, of must-nots, and this is natural man, not spiritual man, this is the list. For some reason, my clicker is really uh, going slow here. So here's a five-point list. Jesus is going to be a huge problem. If you stick him into your message, you immediately are creating obstacle between you and your audience. Fact. Jesus is the way. You start throwing that in. I mean, just bringing Jesus up. It's like, oh, oh, you're one of those, right? But Jesus is the way. Whoa, you're not just one of those. You're one of those. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And no man can come to the Father but by him. So I just gave you the big list of no-nos right there, okay? If you really want to be an effective communicator and you want to sort of work your audience and bring them to the sale that you're, you know, the end that you're, you're after and you want, to, you want to get out of them what you're desiring to get out of them, well, I'm going to tell you right now, this is the, the way to bungle it all up. And that's what's interesting is the gospel, God teaches us to be great communicators. He teaches us to be excellent with our words. He teaches us to be honorable with, with our words, to be respectful with our words, to give life and to give encouragement and hope with our words. Everything that we are as Christians is meant to be excellent communicators. God's an excellent communicator. And yet he gives us something to communicate that is so backwards from this world. And yet we need to do it with excellence. <clears throat> so the idea of cool. Now remember, I find a great deal of humor uh, in this idea of cool because we want to be cool. Innately, we wouldn't say that out loud in a group like this. I mean, it just sounds really bad if we said, yeah, my desire is to be cool. We, we know that that shouldn't be our great aim in life, but while we're going about our great aim in life, like lifting high Jesus, bringing glory to Jesus, I would sort of like to be cool doing it. I would like to be liked by the world. Is that so bad? Okay, that's, that's an underpinning for many of us, if not all of us, 100% of us. I've only lived in my body. I can't tell you what's going on in your body. I can only hazard guesses. But the idea of cool, cool is a temperature between hot and cold. 
It is not ardent or zealous, not angry, not fond, not excited by passion of any kind. It is indifferent, not retaining heat or light. To cool means to become less hot, to lose heat, to lose the heat of excitement or passion, to become less ardent, angry, zealous, or affectionate, to become more moderate. So it's interesting because I said, if I said to you, do you want to be cool? Like, well, not like that, but that's what cool means. Isn't it interesting that the very idea of cool means to not be hot or cold? It means to be in that lukewarm state. The very thing that we crave is the very thing that God expressly states he, dis he dislikes more than maybe anything else. So I'm going to read you a few scriptures. Actually, it's the same scripture. I'll read it three times just to see if I can make a point here. I know your works. This is Jesus talking uh, to the church of Laodicea. That you, are neither hot, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Whew. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to read the same scripture. And I'm going to uh, just replace. Just one word. Okay, it's just a subtle change. Okay, and I underlined it just so you don't think I'm trying to take liberties with scripture. But uh, I'm going to read it again. See if you can catch my point here. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are cool and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, you were wanting to be cool? Was that what I over... I saw a bubble thought come out of your head going, I'd really like to be cool. And I, you know, I just don't know if it's a very good idea, guys. How about this one? This is my summation one. Very simple, short. Because you are cool, I will vomit you out of my mouth. God isn't looking for cool. We have an instinct to desire to please a world around us. We desire them to find us attractive. We desire them to applaud us. We desire to appease them. What we are given as excellent communicators is the truth. And to be excellent communicators in the kingdom of God means we have to deliberately choose to accept the fact that not everyone will like us. And that's a tough one. I mean, the guy talking with you is a specialist in making people like me. I, I grew up in the public school system, and I was the popular guy. And now I was, you know, and I was nice to uh, the little people too. I was like everyone's friend. And everyone liked Eric Ludy. Now, I was very careful not to talk about Jesus, right? I was a Christian. I went to church. I don't even know what to call myself back then. But I was liked by everyone. So there's something called homecoming king in high school. It's in college too. And I was elected homecoming king. So that's the student body sort of saying, yeah, this is the guy. Then in college, I'm elected homecoming king. I'm the likable guy. And then I run square into Jesus Christ. So the guy talking with you understands the dynamic here very, very well and in depth. I've had to make deliberate decisions it's like, Eric, could you take off your cool clothing and stick on a leathern girdle? We'll mess up your hair a little, and I'll give you locust and wild honey to eat. That's literally the way I felt like God has walked me through. It's like, God, that's not going to look good. Yeah, but it will in heaven. I, I know it doesn't translate down here very well, Eric, but are you willing to be an effective communicator for me? The art of branding so have you guys ever heard of a brand name? Uh, it's if in the marketing world, it's called branding. So you want to develop a brand. You want to develop an identity with that brand. 
Technically, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not trying to insinuate an evil intent behind branding. It just means an identity. It's, it's, it's a clear understanding of what something is. It's like uh, Kellogg's. You know, Kellogg's has a reputation of producing fine cereal products. And so we have a confidence in Kellogg because Kellogg is the brand that we trust. Okay, now I have no idea if you trust Kellogg, but that, that's the idea behind it, okay? And so the art of branding is convincing the world that you are part of the cool culture. Now, sorry to have to stick such a negative spin on it. Branding in and of itself isn't bad, but what I'm going to talk about with branding is something I think we'll all identify with because when the marketing world and gurus get together, this is the entire idea behind branding. They're not trying to be uncool. They're trying to be popular, avant-garde. They want to be in stride with what is hip at the time. So convincing the world that you are part of the cool culture, you understand the cool, you drive the cool, you smoke the cool, you drink the cool, you listen to the cool, you spend your Friday nights at the cool, and you know the language of the cool. So if you're going to brand properly, that's the way you want to be branded as a human. You want everyone to look at you and say, oh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're part of the cool. Yeah, they're the sampling of what is cool today. So corporate rebranding, I've, I've watched it for years because, you know, when you've lived 48 years, you actually can see companies that used to be popular fall into disrepair and they either fade out or they rebrand, okay? An illustration is Volkswagen. Volkswagen was you know, had their day, and then they were known as the hippie vehicle, and then the old vehicle that's rusting, uh, that, was, that was just what they were for a whole season, and then I watched them rebrand to the point where then they had their little bugs with little flowers in it, and, you know, I, I don't know if I could say that uh, Volkswagen is the hip car now, but they went through a season after dying, literally, for about 10 years, whew, they flew into center stage, and if you were, you know, if you had a, your little bug with a flower in it, especially if you were a girl, I mean, for guys, that was a little weird. But if you were the girl with a flower, with your, with your bug with a little flower in it, you had the cool car. I watched the same thing happen with Cadillac. Cadillac was like the grandparent car. And then and they fell into disrepair, and all of us were making fun of Cadillacs. Uh, and then, I mean, out of nowhere, Cadillac became cool. I mean, how did they do that? Well, they had to change their image. You see, the image is everything in regards to the brand. And so you have to recognize that in regards to humanity, many, is, many of us have a propensity, especially when we grow up and, you know, people liked us, and then we start to get a little foggy, uh, a little older, and we get some gray sprouting out on the side. It's like, hey, do we need to rebrand? That's the way a lot of people think in regards to Christianity. Christianity had its day, but it's sort of fallen into disrepair. Do we need to rebrand Christianity? Is it time for a rebranding of Jesus? After all, he's not part of the cool culture. I don't know if you've picked up on that. He doesn't talk cool. He doesn't look cool. And he doesn't live cool. So as a result, what are you going to do with this? Because there's a pressure that every communicator has, and that is that they, when they stand in front of an audience, want to be liked. There's a reason why Public speaking is considered one of the greatest, most dreadful things, most fearful things on earth. It ranks up there with the pains of death. That's literally how high it ranks in people's minds. Okay, if you just take a poll of humanity, public speaking and a horrifying, painful death are right up at the top. 
Right? It doesn't even make sense. I mean, as a guy who's in front of audiences all the time, I can't relate to that at all, right? Uh, however, for most people, they can. And if you were going to be up in front of people, why is it so hard? It's because of something known as the fear of man. That's why it's so hard. It is the fear of what people are thinking about you. It is the fact that you don't want them to judge you as inferior. You don't want to have them think of you as nonsensical, as idiotic. You want them to esteem you. It is a natural default position in humanity. I remember A.W. Tozier saying something like this. I don't know if I'll get the quote exactly right. But the gospel sets us free from the tyranny of public approval. There is a tyranny and we feel it, which is why it's so hard to get up in front of a group and speak. Why it's so hard to walk up to someone and share the gospel with them. Why? Is it because you don't care about them? No, you do care about them. Why is it so hard then? Well, I don't know. I just don't understand the gospel. You know it well enough and you know the Holy Spirit will give you words, so why aren't you going up? I don't want them to think that I'm weird. I don't want them to judge me. I don't want them to have a bad opinion about me. You don't even know that person. You may never even see them again. Isn't that ironic? And yet you still are concerned about what they think. Here we have the God of the universe leaning in, and we think more highly of the opinion of a stranger than we do of the entire angelic host and the God of the universe and the great cloud of witnesses. That's an amazing twist. What has happened to us that the fear of man has such a hold on us? And that's exactly what this is. When you as a communicator, if you want to be a great communicator, you cannot speak out of the fear of man. The fear of man will lead you to appease instead of give truth. But a great communicator in the kingdom of heaven does not seek to appease. A great communicator in the kingdom of heaven seeks to save, seeks to bring glory to God, which means they have to risk the approval of everyone they're talking to, to be an excellent communicator. It's a great twist on Christian communication. Sorry, I'm pushing my, this uh, button like four, five, five. Now that was five. Great, now it starts working. Uh, the brand of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus has a brand? This is, I love the, the twist and the turn of phrase in this. I, that's cool. It's just great with the whole lukewarm thing in Revelation. And then brand is really fun for me as well because in Scripture, there is something known as a brand. It's, and I'll go into that, but I'm going to call it the brand of Jesus. Now, most of us don't think of Jesus having a brand, but he does. And it's called the stigma. So Paul says, yeah, I, I bear in my body the uh, stigma, the marks of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, I wear the brand. What, what uh, clothing do you wear, Jesus? Yeah, it's, uh, and so like back in the day when I was in uh, elementary school, I was in the second grade. No, no, this is the fifth grade. I was in the fifth grade, and there was a girl that wore her uh, collar up. Uh, her name was Jill, and she was a prep, preppy. I don't remember what the exact term at the time was. She was preppy, and that was a new term back then, and, and it was just sort of avant-garde, and she always wore Izod, if you guys remember the uh, alligator. Uh, and so if you were not wearing Izod, you were not a preppy, and you had to have your collar up. There was a very specific way, and I felt so, I, I, wanted, I went home and told my mom that I wanted an Izod shirt. And she's like, Eric, we don't need to spend more to impress Jill. Okay, and, and I, I was just so intimidated. Jill had this sense of what was cool, and I was not it. And so to be cool, I need to get an Izod. And I remember my mom 
would buy me jeans from Sears. That is the worst thing you can do to your child, by the way. They were not Levi's, like, that were cool. They were tough skins. I don't know if you've ever heard of tough skins, but I'm hoping that they are no longer in existence. They had a patch, you know, very, some mom made them, I'm sure. Uh, they had a patch that went from like here down to the shin to extra protective layer. Of course, you could see it through the pants, right? And so guess what I wore with no eyes on? I don't know, I have no clue what shirt brand I had, but I had my tough skins and Jill sneered at me with my tough skins and I felt it. I felt it. I don't want to wear tough skins. We choose, along with Paul, to bear in our body the brand of Jesus. And it doesn't look good to Jill. It just doesn't. And when she mocks us, I need to be free from her opinion. That her opinion doesn't guide me, doesn't steer me. That I can love Jill and serve Jill, and she can sneer and deride me, and I'm free from that. Wouldn't that just be an amazing thing as Christians to no longer care what Jill thinks. If Jill doesn't like you because of your clothing, that's Jill's loss. But you can still love her and care about her. You're free from that. Oh, what a dream. So stigma. This is what it actually means in the Greek. A mark pricked in or branded upon the body. To ancient oriental usage, slaves and soldiers bore the name or the stamp of their master or commander branded or pricked. So you see the word branded right there? cut into their bodies to indicate what master or general they belong to. Isn't it interesting, the word brand, we know where it comes from. It's like the hot searing into the flesh, whether of an animal or of a human. And what does it say? You belong to a master. That's what it says. Isn't that an incredible thought? You belong to someone. And so when you wear the brand of this world, in a sense you are being controlled by the world. I'm not against you wearing nice clothes. Okay, I'm not going to encourage you to just wear ugly clothes or to go and find tough skins just because they're more spiritual. <laughs> However, it depends on what we're truly wearing is defined by how we communicate with the world. Okay, if we find our identity in our clothing, we have an issue. Where are we finding our identity? What brand are we actually wearing? So the brand name, which mark do you bear? So this word could be used in various ways. That we have the mark of the beast, which I know stirs some of us up. It's like, whoa, we're going to talk about that. Not really. Uh, but it is a mark. It is a stigma. And it's a deliberate choice to wear a mark so that you fit into the world and you are not going to be persecuted. And every single one of us at a certain level is vulnerable to that, just like every other thing I'm talking about in this message. So the beast, the determined to destroy the word of God. And so the beast is out to destroy Jesus. That's what he is. He's anti-Jesus. You ever heard, studied the, the, the thought of anti-Christ? What does that mean? Well, that means against Christ. It is the opposite of Christ. It is everything Christ is trying to do, they're trying to tear it down. So to identify with that doesn't make any sense for us as Christians. You have to acknowledge that. However, there's a middle ground, and this is the way we start, which is everything I'm talking about in the natural sense, is we are clothed in Adam. And that's what this world esteems. The world esteems what Adam can do, what Adam can showcase. And so it's hip, cool, favorable in the eyes of the world. But God himself is going to go way out of his way in the New Testament and say, put off 
that brand. Take off that clothing, put off the old man, and put on Christ. So Christ is establishing the kingdom and the glory of the beloved son. What is your agenda in this earth? What is your identity? What brand do you bear? So I'm going to go through the word fool since this is technically what we look like to the world because the next uh, scripture is we are fools for Christ's sake, right? So what does that mean? So I, I gave you a whole bunch of synonyms here just so you can marinate in it. <laughs> the fool is an idiot, blockhead, dunce, dolt, ignoramus, imbecile, cretin, dullard, simpleton, moron, clod, nitwit, halfwit, dope, ninny, nincompoop, jump, dimwit, dingbat, dipstick, goober. It's probably good that we don't have a lot of kids in here who would collect this list and go, there's probably a few, a few parents that are streaming this right now and they're like turning down the volume. Uh, none of us wants to be anything in this list, okay? Every single thing in this list we retract from ever desiring anyone to call us a dimwit, a dingbat, a dipstick, a goober, a coot, a goon, a dumbo, a dummy, dum-dum, fathead, numbskull, thickhead, airhead, flake. These are like all, I feel like they're 1950s uh, descriptions. I don't know about you guys. Flake, lame brain, pea brain, bird brain, jughead, chowderhead, dumbhead, goofball, goof, goofus, doofus, galoot, lummox, knuckle dragger, meatball, or dumb clock. <laughs> I remember there's this old, uh, it's, uh, what's the cat? It's a Disney movie about a cat. Uh, DC is the cat's name. What, what? That darn cat, yes. So in it, these two bad guys are talking, and they go, and, they, and the one guy goes, meatball, and he called him a meatball. That was like the horrible language in that old Disney movie. And so there it is right there. You can be called a meatball too if you follow Jesus. We are meatballs for Christ's sake. <laughs> it is actually a deliberate, for the sake of Jesus, we say, yes, Lord. And what's interesting is it's not the lack of communication excellence. It's not that we purposely choose to be bad communicators. We actually allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and refine us to be excellent in our delivery. If you're going to be a writer, I'm going to encourage you to be the best writer on earth. If you're going to be a speaker, I would encourage you to be the best communicator on earth. However, I want you to take that skill and that excellence and deliver with it a message that would cause you to possibly be rejected by your audience. And yet, we do this for Christ's sake. And Christ is honored and people's lives will be changed when we are willing to face that hostile wind boldly. And that's why the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because when men and women have gladly gone into arenas, worshiping and singing, people in the crowds are awestruck. And they recognize that's their greatest fear is to be fed to wild beasts. And this person isn't afraid at all. In fact, they're running towards the wild beasts with joy. What does that person have? That's exactly what they'll say about you as a communicator. When you're willing to walk up to someone that you don't even know and say, I just want to ask you a quick question. I'm just burdened for you. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? I, I mean, whether or not, I mean, you could be slapped half the time and rejected the other half. However, there's going to be those that are going to be changed because of your willingness. And this is how God has sought to change the world. It's through weakness. It's through foolishness. 
He has chosen this as his means, and we have to sort of step into agreement with it. In front of the mocking crowds, I remember having a dream. Uh, well, I've had, I can think of two dreams in a vast arena or stadium. I think both of these were stadiums. But one of the dreams, this is when I was really struggling with this entire uh, idea, is I was in this dream and it was full of young women. And this whole stadium full of young women. And I was like thrust out onto the stage. And all of the, the women in one voice just sort of said, in, back then the word was sick, but now that became a positive word. Now that actually means cool. So it's really confusing if I were to tell it that way. But it was the equivalent of disgusting as they looked at me. And then I woke up. And I remember being so shaken because I don't know that I can handle that, God. That an entire generation of women basically looks at me as disgusting. I mean, that just touches you as a man at a very deep level. It's like, hey, I don't care if they all love me and want to be married to me, but at least they, God, don't allow that. And I remember the test that was laying before me that, I mean, for, it could be, I could even say for years as I'm pondering that scene because it was so vividly uh, emblazoned upon my, my memory. God, I'm willing. God, I'm willing to be disgusting to a generation if it's for your sake. Oh, wow, just to work through that. And then I had another dream. I don't have dreams about this all the time. We're talking decades worth of dreams, and I'm only mentioning two little uh, moments in my dream life where I'm standing uh, in, a, in front of a stadium, and they are hurling insults and accusations against me. It's loud, but I'm in the position to speak. And in that moment, I deliberately defied it and spoke the truth of Jesus Christ. And they would not relent. They kept going, and I kept going. And it was like the difference between the two was showing me that God was working something in me that as I allow him to take this arena of my life and use it the way he wants, I, I would have told you back when I first became a Christian, God, I'm willing to serve you in any way. Could I just make a few appeals? Don't make me a John the Baptist. Don't do that to me, God. John the Baptist is so uncouth and unappealing. I want to be a communicator. I want to be an excellent communicator. And I, I want to do things that people stand back and they go, that is, that is well done. That guy is a master communicator. And then I win people to Christ because I do things with such excellence. And I can see God listening and going, you know what, I, I, like your, I like your vision there. So how about we do this, Eric? How about you become a master communicator and yet you leave the results up to me? And then he starts to show me, you know, these things. And Paul was an idiotes. He was an idiot uh, in the perception of his audience. Here is like the Pharisee of Pharisees. This man is a very intelligent man. And yet he looks like an idiot and like a fool. Ah, God. Okay, so to be a master communicator, we have a hurdle. And it's not just practice, 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 texture, 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 keep the room cool, keep the lights on so everyone can see every one of your facial features without missing a single one. You see, that's, that stuff almost just is drivel next to the fact that are you obedient to the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to let your tongue be his tongue? And are you willing to allow him to speak through you 
even when it is extremely uncomfortable and even when it may lead to your persecution, your imprisonment, and even your death. Will you speak what God would have you speak? Will you be his instrument of communication? Whew. When the answer to that question becomes, yes, Lord, that's the biggest step towards becoming a great communicator, right there. I don't know why this isn't working. <clears throat> the all-important refusal, saying no to the cool. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Listen to this. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches, riches than the treasures in Egypt. I'm going to read that again. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. It's interesting because... <clears throat> Moses was before what we would understand Jesus, right? I mean, just look at the chronological timeline of history. And yet, what the writer of Hebrews is even saying is that Moses was esteeming the reproach of Christ. It's the same thing we esteem. It's the same reproach. It's the same brand. It's the same mark. Are we willing to stand with Christ? And are we willing to esteem the reproach of Christ greater than the good opinion of this world? than the perceived success in this world. I don't know if any of you have ever had a uh, class reunion. You've, uh, I had my first class reunion. I actually, there's been probably others, but I was never heard about them. You know, we, I think I would have just had my 30th class reunion. Isn't that just like 20th? Is it, yeah, it's 20th. Wait a minute. What am I? I'm 48. What would it be? 30. Is it 30? Wow. What in the... <laughs> 30, I felt better when I said 20. I was like, maybe it was 20. That's not that bad. My 30th, but they, I don't know if they ever had it. It would have been this last year. But it was the first one I want to say was like five to 10 years. I don't know what, what they usually have as a first one. And so I went to this. Uh, and I remember even thinking, I don't want to be like one of those cowards, you know, that wants to look good, drive up and, you know, rent a car and drive up and your Lamborghini, you know, that you rented from some specialty rental spot. So you can try and give the look and then go really loud. So everyone looks over and you're like, get out and shut the doors. Like, oh, oh, hey. Uh, there's a certain pressure, but why would you care about what your classmates think about you? I mean, why, why would it matter to you? And I tell you what, it was weird. The whole night I was deliberately attempting to, you know, stay true to, it's true, to, but the pressure was so incredible to look good to these people. Everyone is trying to impress everyone else. And what am I going to do? No, not do anything to like prop up Eric? I mean, if I don't prop it up, I can't expect anyone else to. And so it was such a pressure. I still remember that. And this is a very real thing. To esteem the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Do we? So, in communication, as a basic rule of thumb, we need to stand with Christ, we need to bear the stigma of Christ, we need to wear Jesus as our brand. So if someone wants to know what brands we wear, it's Jesus Christ. A little insignia, I don't know what it would be if it's a cross, an empty tomb, uh, you know, there's various things that we could, but it would probably be like uh, the fool, would probably be one of the best ways of saying it. What do we wear? Yeah, it just says the fool right there. Maybe we should start a brand called 
foolish. And that, that's just like what it, what it is and we wear it. Of course, then that would become cool. And people are like, that's sort of hip. And then everyone starts wearing the foolish brand. And then it's like a crossover. And then, you know, non-Christians are wearing it. It's like, I think we lost the point of this. <laughs> so maybe we shouldn't go in that direction. But it was a cool idea. Uh, <clears throat> well, guys, I want to pray just that this, what, what is necessary in this to sink into our lives would. Father, we need you. That's one thing we can all take out of this is that in and of ourselves, we are unusually concerned about what people think. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would set us free from that bondage and that you would rest us from that those chains of control and manipulation that the culture holds over us and the sway of social and political correctness. Lord, that we would be willing to wear you as our badge, wear you as our mark. Lord, that we would carry in our body the stigma of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we love you and submit to you. It's in the precious name we pray, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.